Galatians 6, I want to break in the chapter and begin reading in verse 11. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. We'll end reading there, and trust again the Lord to bless the public reading of His Word. Let's pause again with the Word open, bow our heads and hearts together. Heavenly Father, tonight warms our hearts to not only gather to sing, but to even see and experience the desire of our brothers and sisters to sing, as we would have songs and truths upon our hearts that we would ask to sing about. And we pray that you will, Lord, cause all of us tonight to commune one with another as we have entered in already. Lord, in even deeper ways as we together partake of this ordinance, but also encouraged and helped in that communion to know, as you say to us, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, that by your Spirit you will commune with us and grant us help as we would seek spiritual refreshment and nourishment as we pause again to remember our Savior, as you've called us to do. So bless our meditations. Bless us as we continue even through the symbol to meditate on our Savior. We pray it in his worthy name. Amen. I wanted tonight to draw our attention to this passage of Scripture. I think I mentioned it I'm remembering at least this morning, alluding to it, because in many ways what we've read this evening, and of course this 14th verse that I'm speaking of, we find a wonderful contrast and yet a complement to what we considered this morning. Paul says those very bold words, whereas boasting, it's excluded There is that great sense in which boasting is excluded in the gospel. But that's a specific type of boasting. It's a boasting in self. It's a boasting that would lift up our own efforts. It's a boasting that would rest upon ourselves as having worked up an acceptance with God. And of course, that's not the gospel. The gospel of grace based entirely on the work of another and not our own works, 
excludes boasting. Well, when we come to Galatians 6, it's the same point of emphasis. There is no boasting except. He introduces an exception. And of course, that exception we anticipate already. It is permissible. It's beyond that. It's commendable. Can we say it's beyond that? It is required of us that we boast in the cross of Christ. That we emphasize and glory in what He has done as we suppress any glorying in what we have done. And if you look at the context, of course you understand the whole book of Galatians. Uh, we've been talking about comments about the Scriptures and talked about that comment about the most important paragraph ever written. Well, there are many that have commented that the book of Galatians is the most strong polemic that's ever been written. These are no uncertain terms. The Apostle says, If anybody brings to you any other gospel than that which you've received, if anybody brings another gospel that is contrary to this gospel of the free grace of God in Christ Jesus, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Galatians is a, a polemic. And what's it a polemic against? The Judaizers. Those that would come in and corrupt the gospel of grace. Those that would come in and now in a more subtle way perhaps than the Pharisees prior to Christ's crucifixion would have come. Those would have come into the churches of Galatia. Those that would have come into those that were professing the name of Christ and said, that's great. We're happy for you to profess Jesus, but you need something else. And we can help with that. And they introduced the necessity of circumcision. They introduced the efficacy of this ritual. That you need something beyond Christ. And we can help with that. Well, what has Paul said in the conclusion? Verse 12. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they can strain you to be circumcised. Notice, lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. They didn't want to come under any condemnation from their countrymen, their fellow Jews, because of the cross. Because of the simplicity and power of the cross. Of this message of grace. But then he goes further. And he says something very similar to what he unfolds at length in Romans 2. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law. These men can't be justified by that in the truest sense as we understand. But they desire to have you circumcised. And here's the rub. Here's the root of it. That they may glory in your flesh. You think of the Judaizers being able to return to Jerusalem and say, we've, we've had these many that we've brought in. 
almost like David returning from the slaughter of the Philistines with circumcision in hand. What we have done. The pride. The glory. The whole spirit that is contrary to the gospel. And Paul says, may it never be. God forbid. This isn't the gospel. This isn't what you learned of Christ. The gospel excludes boasting. Romans 3. And Paul here, I say, echoes that. God forbid that I should glory. Let all glorying, let all boasting be excluded. But then the exception. Save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in the cross that God is just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. And he puts before us here this cross in which he glories. I was thinking of that as I prepared for this morning. and Again, these texts that are so close to each other. I'm looking and I don't know Well, any that even would have been here would have been exceedingly younger. I think the first book study that I did 35 years ago was in the book of Galatians. And when it came to this portion in that study, the message, one of those convenient for the preacher, there are three crosses, three crucifixions, in Galatians 6.14. And I want in light of what we considered this morning to visit those three crucifixions again. Because here, Paul, in putting forth a cross to boast in, draws our attention to these three. And the first, obviously, is Christ's crucifixion. God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the exposition of the cross is the message of the gospel of grace. I remember years ago, Dr. Paisley was preaching at Bible conference. It may have been the first time I heard him. And the first time I heard anyone that didn't need amplification in a building that holds 6,000. But he made the statement that the cross is the apex of revelation. And you think of that. What we can learn and do learn of our God in the cross of Jesus. Learn a little bit about the inflexibility of His law. We learn something of His holiness that He wouldn't ignore His own law. That the law requires the death of the sinner. And He united His Son to sinners that He might represent them. Of course, it speaks of God's love. Borrow the words of Hugh Martin. No law required this. No law suggested this. No law objects to this. The love of God, the love of the triune God our souls 
in providing a ransom. The cross of Christ. The power and beauty of it. This cross we read elsewhere in Paul's writing to the Corinthians was to the Greeks foolishness. Do you consider those that profess themselves to be wise and to this day are celebrated as the, the wise scholars of humanity? Interesting insights in the case of many, but not reaching the conclusion of the whole matter. To the Greeks, the cross was foolishness. You see, they would glory in man. They would save room even in acknowledging man's weaknesses, but save room that somehow man might arrive. To the Jews, the cross is a stumbling block. We thought our Messiah was going to redeem us from the oppression of the Gentiles, we thought the Messiah was going to exalt the nation. crucified Messiah. They stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, the stone which the builders set at naught has become the chief stone of the corner. The Jews didn't understand grace. They didn't understand the privileges that they had had. They looked at it as something they were worthy of. They gloried in them. And of course, the cross of Christ eliminates glory in self and causes us to glory in Him. Christ's crucifixion. That which was to the Greeks foolishness and to the Jews a stumbling block is to us Christ the wisdom of God and the power of God. We come tonight to reflect on the wisdom and the power of our God. Again, if you think of it, if you have any pursuits of what we call theology proper, the different pieces of theology and doctrine we study, but when we talk about theology proper, theology is the study of God. When you study God Himself, and you come to understand that in His speaking the universe and all things into existence, it wasn't a difficulty. But bringing sinners back into fellowship with Himself presented God with a difficulty. And of course, a difficulty only God could overcome. We glory tonight in the cross of Christ. It's the wisdom and power of God for our salvation. And Paul says, following on from that, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, what we have translated here, by whom really is better by which. It's this cross he's following the thought from. By which the world 
is crucified unto me. Here's the second crucifixion. The world's crucifixion. And we can think of this rightly and probably the most apparent way when we know our own experience and our own testimony. When we're brought to see Christ. When we're brought to be convinced of our sins. We see the world for what it is. We see sin for what it is. We see ourselves as sinners. And we repent of our sins. There's no gospel without repentance and faith. But this casting off of the former life, this looking at the world, understanding it for what it is, seeing it in its rebellion and its misery, it's crucified to us now. It's dead to us. And part of our ongoing battle is continually putting that to death. Because until the day of our glorification, the old man is still going to hold out a little hope for some type of contentment and satisfaction from worldly things. Well, it's by the cross of Christ that the world is crucified to us. We see sin as introducing unhappiness. And we're now given rightly to understand what happiness is and pursue it. And so the world is crucified to us. But it's not just in that sense, I say, that it's most common for us to think about the world and the distaste we must now have for the world and its things and its sins. But what Paul's been battling in this book of the Galatians is a religious worldliness. The Pharisees were worldly. They had a whole list of worldly sins that they didn't do. But the flesh that leads worldlings, Gentiles, to do those sins is the same flesh that leads these separated Pharisees into glorying in themselves instead of glorying in Christ. And so it's not just the secular world, if you will, that is put to death for us. It's the religious world. The religious mindset that would glory in self. That's crucified to us. Sometimes that more subtle battle, and one that creeps up in different ways, the harder one for us to fight harder one for us to see but again the gospel excludes boasting so we put religious boasting to death as well as worldly carnal lustful boasting to death but Paul continues and then he says by which the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. The world puts us to death. Now again, there's an aspect of this that's easy enough to see. 
Peter speaks about the world and they think it's strange that we run not with them to the same excess of riot. We don't party anymore. What happened to you? Well, you're no fun. You can't come with us anymore. We're doing our own thing and you're not part of it. The world crucifies the believer in that way. We get that. But there's another way. Again, the worldly religious mindset. Sometimes even the wildest partier, if you will. I don't know, am I using language from the 70s? I don't know if I'm communicating. But sometimes the one that pursues worldly things, immoralities and drunkenness and excesses of all types, they still have a religious angle often. One of the things you look in the history of the church, sadly you can look even geographically at certain cities and nations where Romanism prevailed. They're known today for sites of some of the wildest of parties. Rio, New Orleans. How Rome, and even in its calendar, Produced the festivals. Oh, we can, we'll fix this tomorrow. There's release. We just go through these hoops and we're good. We're people of faith. You bring the gospel to that worldly religious mind. You preach the truth as it is in Jesus. And the religious worldling put you to death as well. No, that's not right. This message you preach, this idea that we can be accepted only through the work of another. We can't just bring these religious offerings and go on our merry way by which the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. This world, again, to quote Watts, is not a friend to grace. What we profess, what we come here tonight to rehearse, the gospel of free, full, sovereign grace, to an emblematic form with emblems that are to remind us of the body and blood of Jesus. Again, the life and the death To confess our entire dependence resting upon the work of Jesus and abandoning any hope in our own works. The world looks at that and says, no thanks. It's one thing to me when people don't understand grace and then they don't embrace it. But to me, it's an entirely different thing when somebody does get it and then they reject it. I think some among the Judaizers were in that camp. Paul's message of grace. And Paul could say that the cross of Christ 
is not only the means of the world being crucified to me, the world is dead to me, but it's also the means of the believer being dead to the world. The world says, no, that's not for me. What folly, what foolishness, what pride, what rebellion, what hardness to want to cling to some other glory. Where is boasting? In the gospel, it's excluded, except I have glory in the cross. Christ. Let us glory tonight in the cross as we would remember our Savior.